The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Freaking first cut. Golly! Welcome to the First Cup Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your DFS preview for this week's Val Spar Championship. Joining me to break it all down, Sia Najad is here. Sia, hello. Hello. How we doing? So I I, I got a, I got an announcement to make. Not really. Although I wanted to talk some smack about the Scotty Scheffler thing, but I've been in the basement so long, there's just no need to do that. Um, I've been really good. I want everybody to know, this show has been very good DFS-wise lately. I almost had an outright... Rick last, uh, I should say yesterday, but you know what happened? Corey Connors happened. I had an elite lineup with everybody peppered in the top 10 and the top five. I avoided the Keegan Bradley chalk, Corey Connors. I did not see that coming. I got to be honest. I had him in pretty much every lineup. Uh, I Speaking of guys I never get right, Corey Connors is certainly one yeah. of them, although I don't really play him all that much. So it, it doesn't end up super mattering compared to other guys that I do play a lot and I, and I never get right. But yeah, so Sia, congratulations. You're back to the middle of the pack. We were kind of talking about it last night in terms of the one and done that it has tightened in a way that is like best for the show which is great. So we've got a lot of money still on the line and everybody's kind of getting a little bit closer together. That's right. I mean, I think what's best for the show is me being in last place, if we're being honest, because it's just fun for me to always be at the bottom. But it's I guess it's also fun for me to be somewhere in the middle. It's funny when you win four and a half million on one tournament, you all of a sudden start looking up and saying to yourself, I don't know, maybe I can catch Mark. That's how it works. That's how it works. There's a lot more millions to come. Uh, If you are a fan and you have not put your one and done selection in yet, that link is in the description. So you can get your vote in right now for the fan selection. Unfortunately, the fans had John Rahm last week. And there is another link in the description that is quite important. This is what I imagine, Sia, is the least productive Monday outside of maybe the Monday after the Super Bowl. As everyone furiously fills out their brackets and tries to beat Janice in accounting. (laughs) Only to be outdone by the least productive Thursday of the year, because, you know, that's what people are going to be doing on Thursday is is watching their brackets crash and burn or give themselves a shot. I mean, I think Thursday and Friday, whether you're a college basketball fan or not. The, the March Madness brackets get so many people involved because, you know, even people who just aren't really watching can look at the seeds and know the big the big schools and just kind of put their put their bracket in there. I just think Thursday and Friday are such an exciting time for sports. There are already 274 brackets in the first cut bracket game. So go on and see if you can beat us. You'll see all of us in there trying to put it our, our best cracks at it. CBSSports.com slash first cut is the direct link. If you're looking for that, they're running both the men's and the women's pool. So you can invite friends, create your own, all that fun stuff and potentially win a new car or a trip 
to the 2024 Final Four, which is pretty, pretty good. Okay, see ya. Um, just to turn this back to golf a bit, we are rocking and rolling with our round-by-round recaps this week. We'll have our mega preview pod on Tuesday. We are growing like a weed. The First Cut YouTube channel is going nuts, so we're asking people to uh, subscribe. We're, we're, we are tre- – like two days ago, it feels like we had 7,500 subscribers. Now we're trying to get to 10K before you know it. That's incredible. I actually – I wasn't aware of that. Um, that's good stuff. And, and Rick, I assume it's still good for people to – Go out and review the podcast as well, right? I imagine all that stuff that we should be asking people for all the time, you know, like, subscribe, comment, go leave a five-star rating and review. That probably all goes along. We should probably mention that more frequently. I think so. Everybody in there. I see a bunch of people in there. Brett Celeste is a cool name. It sounds like a fake that Brett Celeste is in the chat. Thank you for being here. It sounds like one of those fake like stage names, like an actor or actor's name, for example, Brett Celeste. It's just uh, perfect. It's too well, perfect. Wasn't did you ever have those Celeste frozen pizzas when you were growing up? Yes. That's all, I have I all the frozen about. stuff. That's all I think about when I see Brett in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Brett. Or congrats, Brett. I don't know if that's a good or a bad <laughs> thing. Uh, all right, let's talk about this. So we've got Valspar this week, and this is an event that's been going on for about 20 years or so. We've got a bunch of different multiple champions, and we're gonna go to the Innisbrook Resort, the Copperhead course. Troy, if you could share my screen, that'd be splendid. Maybe not. There we go. RickRunGood.com. This is the course key stats model. Uh, the Copperhead course, see uh, obviously our final leg of the Florida swing. You've got water, as we tend to do in Florida, on nine different holes. And we are going to uh, provide a unique challenge to the field this week. <laughs> It will be a unique challenge. I mean, this is going to be a tough course, and and we'll have to kind of wait and see if wind is going to factor in as well. So that's just something to consider as we move towards Thursday. But I like this model, uh, particularly because it's really emphasizing approach, and and that's certainly what I'm going to be emphasizing. I think you could kind of focus on ball striking like a lot of people do on almost every tournament. But for me, I think tee to green, which is on here as well, and approach are going to be really, really important. It's such a unique course, Rick, because – You've got the long par three, so you know, but then you also have the shorter par fours, and then you got some challenging par fives. Uh, to me, that I, I don't, I haven't actually looked at the percentage of shots that are in, like, let's say the 175 to 200 plus range. I know it's a good amount, but to me, you need the whole bag here. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the approach play. So if you look at the model on my site, uh, it says it's, it ranks fifth, which means there's only four other courses in which strokes gained approach is more important. That's pretty significant, especially because strokes gained approach is usually one of the highest correlated stats in general, no matter what the rank is. The value is pretty good. And then it also likes scrambling. It also likes around the green a little bit. If you're going to be missing those greens, you're going to have to get up and down from some uh, creative spots. I'll show the scorecard here, Sia, because uh, you're right. The, the five par three is what makes this a par 71. So there's three par threes on the back. All of them on the back measure 200 yards or more. There are 630 yards of par threes on the backside alone. Then you add in a 235-yard par three eighth, a 195-yard par four, or excuse me, par three fourth. That is the, the shortest of the three. So it is it is a quite a challenging and long set of threes that we have here. That's right. So, I mean, I think it's it's going to require you to kind of be really good with the with the long irons, particularly on those long par threes. Um, but just I mean, I, I think the approach game is just so critical here, which is why, like last week, I was really focused more on ball striking here. I'm looking at approach. And frankly, uh, when I'm looking at Rick run good, I'm looking at weighted approach, too. And, and I was there were some eye popping numbers when it came to which guys weighted out really well weighted approach, whether you're looking last 24, 36, 50, what have you. Yeah. Weighted taking into account uh, strength of field amongst other factors. And especially in a field like this, which is a little bit top heavy. And then you get guys from different tours and things like that. Uh, certainly valuable this week. We will start naming names, but first we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet 
comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking a, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code first at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. It's a really fine line creating workout clothes that are great in the gym and workout clothes that are also great to look at outside the gym. And Viore has threaded that needle. They are designed to work out in, but they don't look like it. They don't feel like it. And it's incredibly comfortable stuff, whether you are running, training, swimming, doing yoga, running errands, lounging around the house. It really doesn't matter. These are versatile clothes. You'll find me often in the men's Sunday performance jogger because I, I like the jogger situation that goes on down at the bottom, but they're very comfortable. Uh, they've got a little bit of a shorter inseam, so they're not as bulky as, as other pants or other joggers that I have seen out there. And I've really enjoyed how they work both in and out of the gym. So now here's what you can do for four, our listeners, uh, first time purchasers are getting 20% off. All you have to do is go to viori.com slash first. That's V-U-O-R-I.com slash first. Again, not only will you receive 20% off your first order, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75. And here's my favorite part, free returns. Yeah, go check it out. Viori.com slash first and discover the versatility of Viori clothing. All right, make sure your bracket is in. The link is in the description. But here is the cheat sheet over at rickrungood.com. And there are four golfers. See ya. Justin Thomas, 10-9. Jordan Spieth, 10-6. Sam Burns, 10-2. Matt Fitzpatrick, $10,000. That's the top of the board. How do we want to attack it? You know, I'm not super interested in this range in terms of, you know, I don't know that I want to I'm going to start a lot of lineups in the 9K range, which, you know, typically doesn't surprise anyone. But there are a couple guys here that are interesting to me. One in particular, one I think I'm going to play. Let's say I'm building 10 lineups. One of these guys is going to be in three or four of those 10 lineups. The other six are actually going to start in the 9K range, most likely, as we sit here on a Monday without, you know, weather factoring in in that type of thing. And guess who it is? Because this is not a guy I really ever talk about. Um, uh, honestly, I do not like this range, so I have no idea. Is it Jordan Spieth? Yeah, it's Jordan Spieth. Yeah. I, I don't play Jordan Spieth. Actually, frankly, I, I don't play any of these guys, really. Um, and it's not like a blacklist thing. I just never get around to playing them. But I, I kind of like what Jordan Spieth is doing, particularly on approach. And we see the approach numbers here. For the record, if we're on the cheat sheet on Rick Run Good and we go to the weighted approach, um, which is how I look at weighted approach, I'm sure there's a thousand other ways to look at it. If you rank it, and I did it by 24 rounds, but go ahead and rank it by 36 because um, – Jordan Spieth is going to be up there. So he's not as high up in 36. Oh, there he is right there. Okay. Um, but if you, if you did that by, by 24 rounds, I think he's third in weighted approach. So yeah, that that's pretty high up there. What, what is he? He's like sixth, sixth. Okay. So I like the weighted approach numbers. I like the approach numbers overall. Um, the off the tee stuff with him, you know, what's interesting here. And I think this really needs to be pointed out is this is definitely more of a positional golf course, Rick, where we're, we're not necessarily taking driver out. And so I think Jordan, I, I, I like when I like taking Jordan Spieth or at least considering him when it's a strategic golf course, when, you know, maybe you're laying up to a position, not laying up, but you know, you're putting it on a position and then, you know, you're trying to dial in with your approaches. And, and if you, if you don't hit the green, you know, we know Jordan Spieth can be pretty good with the, um, the scrambling, the around the green game. So I think Jordan Spieth, this could be one of those tournaments where we look back and we're like, yeah, this totally made sense that Jordan Spieth won this tournament. I don't mind him at all. 
Yeah, so he's probably also my favorite in the 10K range. Not that I'm particularly stoked about any of these guys. What you mm-hmm. noted, we probably should have talked about on the course side of things, where the you know the average driving distance here is uh, some of the shortest on tour, just because you're you are playing a little bit more positional golf. You don't necessarily have to hit driver in every single spot, and it actually in that regard, in that one regard, um, translates pretty well to Harbor Town, which is obviously where Jordan Spieth uh, has gotten his last victory last year mm-hmm. so that it, it does start to add up a little bit and I think that you could argue there's a, some signs of encouragement that while the putter it, while it looks ugly while it feels ugly while he clearly has no idea where it's going the stats aren't that bad and he's gained strokes on approach in four straight ball striking in four straight um, the around the green play gives him a couple of different angles to get here so I I do also side with Jordan Spieth when it when it comes out of the 10k range you know Justin Thomas to me um, for being the most expensive golfer Sia I, I feel like I need a lot more of this uh, out of this you know the the approach plays there he he seems to be considerably lost with the flat stick and I think that the savings of going down and, and filling up on these 9k guys uh, is worth it over over playing Justin Thomas this week. Yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that the upside with guys like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, and Sam Burns in particular, it's it's pretty great. I mean, the upside is definitely there. But then when you look at Justin Thomas at 10-9, and for the record, I thought this was going to be a tournament where you could even grab a couple of guys up top and still have a ton of money left over. Because, you know, when I first scanned the pricing, I was like, oh, this is pretty soft. I can probably make whatever lineup I want. It's just not true. Um, I personally don't really want to dip below the 7,300 range. I'm good with some 7,300 guys. Um, Below that, I I think it's pretty suspect. I actually think that's where the drop-off is. So you can't really build, even if you pick one of these guys, it's really hard to build a lineup, especially if you like the 9K range, which I know we're about to transition to because the 9K range is rich. There's a couple of guys that I think are going to be justifiably popular and it's it's hard to build a lineup with, let's say, Jordan Spieth or Justin Thomas, a 9K guy, and then have enough money left over to get like some of the 7K guys that you really want instead of those 7K guys that you're actually just settling with. Uh, let's do a temperature check check on Sam Burns before we get out of this range here. Obviously, the 2022 champ, the 2021 champion going for the three-peat this time around. See, I... I worry that he's kind of like a shell of himself at this point. You know, he was, um, and I, and I love this, like the, like the 200 round stat profile of Sam Burns is really, really good. And it's really good for winning golf tournaments, but he is so far off of that. Uh, especially on approach. He's lost in three straight. One of them was massive. He's lost at six of eight. He's lost in eight of 11. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's not good. Now, I don't know if he can do this thing where he flips the switch because he goes back to a place that he loves and he's got two trophies and he's trying to add a third, but man, this is, this is pretty scary to click his name in the 10 thousands. It is. I mean, I, I still, there's plenty of upside. And for a guy who's won this thing twice, it's one of those situations where if for some reason everybody agrees with what you just said, Rick, then it, then it does make sense to maybe pivot on to him. I, I will say, you know, looking at the round by round stuff, especially just from the players, because obviously it's not going to look good from um, the API. He did have two rounds where he he kind of popped on approach, but then he had two rounds where he just wasn't good at all on approach. So I think you're right. The game's not really back there. But I, again, if for some reason ownership is low, which I don't think it'll be super low, then I think it's time to maybe consider Sam Burns for this tournament. Uh, just quickly on Matt Fitzpatrick, since he's the only guy in the 10K range we haven't talked about. Uh, statistically, it's a little bit concerning because he's got the five uh, five losses on approach in his last six starts. You could you could write this off to the neck neck injury, which I think is is honestly pretty fair. Mm-hmm. I just don't know, Sia. I guess it's more of a conversation of are you going to be early or late on Fitzpatrick? Because mm-hmm. obviously, when he's healthy and playing well, he's one of, if not maybe the best player in this field, but are you like, what percentage of risk are you willing to take on to try to get him early as opposed to needing to see one or two starts out of him? Yeah, zero. I'm just not interested. I mean, it's funny. It reminds me a little bit, even though it's not a parallel, as it turns out, it reminds me a little bit of Xander Shoffley last week where he was 10,000. And I even said then, I was like, yeah, I'm just, I understand his ownership might be low and he might be a good tournament play. I'm just not going to get there with Xander. And what's funny 
is that I was like, yep, I was right. I'm patting myself on the back. And then Sunday hits and I'm like, oh, my God, this guy's completely going off. Um, I don't think there's any potential for that here with Matt Fitzpatrick. I do think there's potential for something like that where you have an incredible spike round like Xander did um, just yesterday. I think you have that potential with Sam Burns. I think you obviously have that potential with Jordan Spieth and Justin Thomas. Um, I'll go ahead and pay up for one of those guys. I'm not, I'm not touching Matt Fitzpatrick right now. Okay, fair enough. Let's go to the 9K range. This is where I think both of us agree that there is a, a plethora of riches. Tommy Fleetwood at 98, Justin Rose at 96, Keegan Bradley 94. Then the bottom of the range, Denny McCarthy, Adam Hadwin, Brian Harmon, Davis Riley. I mean, uh, pretty stout stuff here, Sia. Yeah, this is this is a pretty good range. I like Tommy Fleetwood a lot, and I, I played him a lot last week too. In fact, uh, the the lineup that I actually could have won an outright in it was in the uh, thirty three dollar single entry on DraftKings, and that was the one that had Corey Connors in it. So I mean, it's not like it was that close. But if if he had made the cut, well, my point is Tommy Fleetwood was one of those. I had Tom Hoagie, I had Tommy Fleetwood, I had Scotty Scheffler, of course. Uh, and some and Victor Hovland. So it was it was a really great lineup. And Fleetwood was honestly until the last like handful of holes where he double bogeyed coming in twice, not only on 17, but I believe on 14 as well. You know, it, it just it didn't end up being a good finish. But I think Tommy Fleetwood is perfect here. I think his number at 25 to one is also a pretty reasonable number. I'm just quoting DraftKings. I'm sure it's um, a different number somewhere else. But I like Tommy Fleetwood quite a bit. And it's pretty much for the same reasons we talked about last week on this very show, because I talked about Tommy Fleetwood there as well. The other two guys that I'm moderately interested in here, Keegan Bradley coming off a miscut. Uh, I don't know. Again, the, the industry is a little sophisticated here. So just because he missed a cut, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be off of him all of a sudden. But I, I do like Keegan Bradley. He, most, he lost most of his strikes strokes last week around the green. A little off the tee as well, but it was as we can see here. Do, do you have it pulled up? Yeah, the players. Um, 2.34 uh, around the green. That's not very good. I, I don't expect that here. Uh, the putter was fine last week. It was decent. And the history here is decent. So I think he's a really good course fit. And then finally, Adam Hadwin. Elite history, good course fit. His weighted tee to green numbers. Uh, he's fifth over the last 24 rounds. Uh, I think Adam Hadwin is is a solid play. Another guy in I put in that Tommy Fleetwood ilk where I wouldn't shock me if he wins this tournament. Yeah, I actually think Adam Hadwin might win this golf tournament. You know, he's 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 been playing great golf. He has the ability to pop in two different categories, which is a pretty high upside way to do it. He gained seven strokes in the ball striking categories of the players. He gained 10 in those in Houston, five in Phoenix, which is obviously a much, a much deeper field. Um, has won this event. Uh, has not only won this event, but he's got a T7 here last year, another T12 in 2018. What I find most interesting about Adam Hadwin is this right here. Uh, he's lost strokes putting in three, cons- uh, two or more in three consecutive starts, which is very uncharacteristic. I don't think I could find another instance of him doing that in his career. Um, so it's a little bit concerning, but I don't think it's far enough off. I-, I think you could actually get like a five stroke rebound in the putting department, which turns him into turns him from like a T13 to a potential winner. So I do think Hadwin um, is really, really interesting. I think Hadwin and, and Tommy Fleetwood for me are, are one and two, but I, I must give a little bit of credit here to Justin Rose. You know, he has mm-hmm. really buttoned up uh, the aspect of his game that uh, was quite frankly, horrible. That was, that was the approach play. That was the ball striking. And you can see that basically since, Mayakoba and kind of into the new year, he's been a much better ball striker and he still has this tidy little short game, you know, a T6 last week where he put together a great stat line and a win at Pebble Beach a couple of starts ago. Uh, yeah, he's got a couple of missed cuts, but like, listen, we're, this, this isn't the player championship field, right? Mm-hmm. Like we gotta, we gotta kind of take, take what we can get here. So those are probably my, my three favorite here, but yeah, I mean, like D- Denny's been good. Um, you mentioned Keegan. I don't mind. I don't mind basically anybody in this $9,000 range. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really good point. Um, I, I mean, I do mind Brian Harmon. I think uh, I, so I, do I. I, I don't, I just don't think I've ever played Brian Harmon. And I'm, I'm always so super stoked when people are like, I'm playing Brian Harmon this week. Cause I'm like, all right, that that's one less person I have to deal with. Now, granted he, he might be that he, he does feel like a decent course fit here, but I mean, these numbers are just pretty horrific. He's just not, he, he's in the midst of a really bad stretch of golf. Yeah. I mean, th- this is one of those situations where, you know, we always talk about the pivot, the guy that's super low owned. It's, it's not a blanket rule that, you, you know, making that pivot is 
is the right sort of GPP or tournament play because there are some guys that just are you very obviously playing bad. So you you know my point is is don't always pivot to the lowest owned guy. Like the, you can do that and it might turn out great, but there's usually some guys that are also low owned, maybe a little bit more owned that actually are coming in with like really good form. So it's just something to think about. Um, yeah, I think I think for this range, you make a really good point about Justin Rose because. I think we think of Justin Rose and some of these guys, even like, let's say, a Keegan Bradley or even a Denny McCarthy, Adam Hadwin, in the context of a field at the players, in the context of these fields that they're normally in. Whereas a guy like Will Gordon, for example, we think of them maybe in lesser fields. A guy, th- This is a really good chance for a guy like Justin Rose or Tommy Fleetwood, Keegan Bradley. And we see we saw it recently with Justin Rose to just really capitalize on the lack of talent in the field. So even if you didn't like Justin Rose last week, well, that makes sense because it was in the players field here. It's a completely different story in terms of the analysis. I agree. Uh, I'm just kind of clicking through a couple of results here, see if anything anything jumps out at me. Okay, we'll continue this conversation. We'll go to the eights, the sevens, the sixes. We'll see what we can find in some of the value ranges here. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast hit yourself the like button hit yourself the subscribe button and we'll uh give you six podcasts and six youtube videos a week the eight thousand dollar range justin sub Wyndham clark mad mcneely gary woodland brandon Wu. then we round it out with ben griffin taylor moore aaron rye has just withdrawn so don't play him jt poston and kh lee where do you want to go first cm this is such an interesting range so i want to go first to justin Suh. i mean i Another guy that I think could actually win this tournament, he's plus 3,500, otherwise known as 35 to 1 for the uninitiated. I think uh, uh, Justin Suh is another guy that could really kind of make his name even more known than it already is. He's been on fire lately. All the stuff I looked at for my model, like greens and regulation, obviously ball striking approach. Um, I looked at around the green and putting a little bit, but certainly Suh's not going to flash in the putting department necessarily. But he checks most of the boxes I had in my model. And, and, for the record, if you wanted to look at the buckets, if you will, the longer approaches, he's really good there too. So I think Justin Sutt, 8,900, I don't want to say he's a value necessarily because the price is right, but I think he has uh, some serious upside potential. We've seen it recently with him. I would also argue uh, he has been much better with the putter, right? I mean, he's got, yeah. he's got gains in, what is that, five of his last six and six of his last nine, and a lot of them are multiple uh, strokes gained. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely an improvement with the flat stick. I'll offer up Wyndham Clark as someone who I think could legitimately win this golf tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he has been, and we've done a, we've done a fairly comprehensive job of, of tracking Wyndham Clark 
during mm-hmm. this run where he has not missed the cut since the Shriners and how he's put together a couple of decent results and how he is just knocking the cover off the ball. I, I mean, it's it's pretty nuts. And he did it again at the Players' Championship. He didn't even hit his second shots all that well, but he gained nearly five strokes off the tee, finished T27, uh, a tiny loss on approach, but otherwise gained in all three other categories. I mean, this is this is a pretty good stat profile uh, for a guy who's clearly playing well, clearly playing confident golf, and then you throw him in, I mean, probably one of the weaker fields he's seen in a while. I mean, he played he played the players, the API, the Genesis, Phoenix, Farmers, since I guess since like the American Express. So this is um, th- this is Wyndham Clark probably licking his chops thinking he can win this thing. 100% true. And we've been, tra- like you said, we've been tracking him. And and what's really funny is I've been playing him every week for I don't know how long. And it's because he's really revolutionized his game. He's not the off the tee bro that we have always kind of conceived him as. He has really dialed in on approach. Honestly, he should have had a better result last week. It was just the short game, particularly in round four, that really, really ended up stinging him. But yeah, I love the approach numbers. If you look last 24 rounds weighted approach, I believe he's best in the field weighted approach last 24 rounds and i believe he's best weighted t to green last 24 rounds as well i believe that because i mean i've rattled off the those weeks that he has been just piling up approach on t to green numbers are these massive events that are going to get you a lot of credit in the weighted stuff so that that makes that makes a ton of sense i mean even going back to the cj cup he's played he's played great and and basically every every big event um who else in this $8,000 range should we consider? By the way, one watch out with Wyndham Clark. I want to bounce this off of you, Rick, because if you look at his just accuracy numbers off the tee, they haven't been very good. And my thing here, though, is that there's so much clubbing down. There's so much just playing position that we got to think guys like Sam Burns, for example, or Wyndham Clark. It's not like they're pulling out driver most of the time. I mean, these guys. So my, my point is, I, I, am I right in, in suggesting that maybe looking at some of those accuracy numbers for this tournament, it doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Yeah. I mean, we, and we've seen this with Camp Champ over the years as well, where he gets the kind of club down and even Gary Woodland to an extent when he was longer. I mean, still pretty long, all things considered. Um, um, so yes, this is not your normal, just like a lot of times on the, there's 20 spots on the PGA tour that Wyndham Clark's going to play where he just pulls driver and doesn't really care about where it goes. Accuracy wise, just hit it as far as you can. And that's a pretty good game plan. I, when you, when you, but these guys aren't robots that do that every single time, they're going to look at ways to play this golf course and where they need to be and angles that they need to attack it from. And often club down here is what we've seen historically. So it's such a professional transition. It's, it's as if we scripted this out, Rick, because the next guy I was going to mention, and I'm really undecided on him. uh, It's Gary Woodland. He, I, I my, want, I want it so bad. I want it so bad. But he, he oh my god, he is so bad with the, with putter. the putter. It's yeah. unbelievable. He lost seven at the Players. He lost five and a half in Phoenix. He lost five and a half at Torrey Pines. He's he's gained like once, dating back to the Scottish Open. I mean, he is he is literally capable of wiping away five to seven strokes gained on approach because mm-hmm. of water. And frankly, it's it's interesting because he profiles so well here, but his history here is pretty bad. So, and maybe we can go back and, and, and find out if he's, if he actually lost it with the putter at the Valspar, the last, you know, four efforts here. He's lost, I mean, he's lost, he's lost it at the Copperhead course with the putter seven straight trips. Now the, the year that he, the year that he gained, the year that he gained the most, he won. He he gained eight strokes putting that week, though, which is probably one of the best putting performances of his career. So disclosure here, uh, I did make a model, which, you know, for those of you that don't know, I don't strictly adhere to my model. It's more of just kind of a instructive to me. But I didn't put an emphasis on putting. I, I, I'm almost almost no emphasis on putting. And because of that, Gary Woodland actually rated out number one in my model. Yeah. Dude, I mean, I, mean I, I, he's like the king of team no putt, or mm-hmm. at least one of them now. Emiliano Grillo, I think, is still the king. But th- th- I, I want to love this. I just because I need, I need him to gain two strokes with one and a half, one and a half strokes with the putter. I just don't know yeah. how realistic that is. But I, I, I want, I want to love it. 
Yeah. Uh, you know, I, he, he's one of those guys w- when I do play him, I'm so mad at myself afterward because it just, he doesn't come through. Uh, he's probably one of like five or six guys where every time I'm kicking myself afterward, I, I just might play him in a couple tournaments though. Again, if we go back to the 10 tournament thing, I might end up playing him in a couple, uh, just because I, I, I can't ignore the ball striking. I just, I cannot ignore it right now. Uh, ben Griffin would be the other guy that I would consider here. He's getting a lot of shine and and for good reason. He actually lost strokes off the tee at the players, but still finished T35. I, I think that he has a couple of different ways to get there. If you like the scrambling, get hot with the putter side of things around Copperhead, cool. If you like you know, uh, driving it well and being a, a one to two stroke gainer on approach. Like he has that ability as well. If he puts it all together, who knows what his upside is at this point. And he's only missed that one cut, which was at Pebble beach, um, in the three course rotation. So I, I think that, uh, Griffin continues to play well, continues to show he's, he's, uh, he belongs here. I agree. Actually, I had been Griffin written down as well. I, I wasn't necessarily going to talk about him because he had been doing so much with the short game, but you know, what's interesting is, He's lost three out of four with the ball striking. But if you just go prior to that, which we're not talking about that long ago, he's gained seven in a row with the ball striking. So clearly, clearly a a pretty great ball striker as far as I can tell. Um, The one thing about him that's a watch out. And again, I have just like you, Rick, I've kind of veered away from the buckets thing. But the long iron play didn't seem to be uh, his strong suit uh, by any means. So that's just something to consider here. Anybody else in this $8,000 range that needs discussing? I think we covered it. Uh, Brandon Wu. Brandon Wu, I think, is worth a discussion. The ball striking wasn't great last week. Um, I I don't know if you remember. uh, I had basically two 6K plays that I really liked, and Brandon Wu was one of them. I believe it was last week at 6,400. I think Johnny Vegas, in full disclosure, was the other one, so that didn't exactly work out. But um, I just like how the game is trending. He was 33rd here last year. Uh, Now, Last week, he gained seven strokes with the putter. So, you know, that's not going to happen again. He did lose ball striking, but Brandon Wu's been finding a way to kind of get it done. I think he's worthy of a discussion, mostly because I don't think people are really going to play him. I think people are recognizing that Brandon Wu is, it might be a thing, but they're going to be more inclined to pay, play Ben Griffin right below him or Wyndham Clark right above him. Uh, Brandon Wu finished T33 here last year in 2022. His only appearance at the Valspar Championship. $7,000 range. Benny On, Steven Yeager, Victor Perez, down to Kevin Kisner, Harry Hall, David Lipsky, Chad Ramey, et cetera, et cetera. How would we like to allocate our funds here, Sia? We should do like this show and then a 7K show. Because there's always so many names. I know. And I'm really curious to see if anybody really pops in the 7K range from an ownership standpoint. Listen, ownership is not the end-all, be-all. Like, you can play highly owned guys depending on what your lineup construction is. But I don't think there's going to be – I think the the larger point I'm making, I think in the 7K range, you're pretty much going to be able to play whoever you want and not really worry about ownership too much. I, I might end up being wrong on a couple guys, but this thing is wide open. I'll start with C- Steven Yeager. At 7,800, he's gained ball striking seven out of the last eight. Now, interestingly enough, he's lost with the putter in seven of the last eight. So you get, you get, it's almost like the Gary Woodland experiment, just to a a, a slightly lesser extent. He hasn't been as bad with the putter. Can I ask you, Rick, before I get to my next guy, do you consider this course more of a team no putt course or the, the other way or neutral on it? It's a good question. I hadn't considered that. Um, I'm trying to think who's won in the past. So Burns, I mean, Paul Casey won back-to-back years. He w- he was a pretty good team no-putt guy. And Sergio um, did well. He's done well here as well, right? I think that sounds right. So I, I you know, off the top of my head, I could – I mean, the thing, the thing that you get, especially in Florida, uh, you generally get some flatter – like some flatter greens and they're usually a little bit easier to, to putt. I don't know that specifically about the Copperhead course, but I, I mean, I could see that. Fair enough. I mean, I, so I, I think maybe that enhances the argument for guys like Steven Yeager, Gary Woodland, and of course, Kyle Stanley at 6,200. Uh, Jonathan Vegas is interesting, you know, miscut. I, I don't think the ownership is going to be too high regardless, but the miscut certainly will lower to a, a couple percentage points. Um, seventh weighted T to green last 24 rounds. And we know he's an excellent ball striker and we know he's, he's great on approach. Obviously he wasn't great on approach at the players and he certainly wasn't great around the green either. But I think Vegas, it's, let's put it this way. If Vegas made the cut last week, 
which is a reasonable thing for to, to have happened. I know it didn't happen, but it's certainly a reasonable thing uh, to have happened. And let's say he finished 41st or 36th. Johnny Vegas would be 8,500 where Brandon Wu is. So I, I just think we're seeing a number here in this field where Johnny Vegas should probably be in the mid 8K range. But because of the miscut, we have him at 7,700. So it's just one of those built-in value upside arguments I like to make with uh, not a misprice, but with a, certainly a value a couple other names. I'll just kind of just bypass Robbie Shelton for a second. I've been playing Robbie Shelton. I do think he's a decent course fit. Another guy that can absolutely crash and burn with the putter. And the ball striking hasn't been great lately, but typically he can be really hot on approach. So I think I'd be willing to pay, play him. Another favorite of mine, Will Gordon at 7,500. Um, dialed in on approach. Around the green has been hurting him uh, last couple tournaments, but the putter can get hot. Dialed in on approach. Don't mind Will Gordon at all. I'll, I'll, I'll name two other guys that are very interesting to me. Joel Damon is interesting to me, but those are, that's not one of the guys I'm going to mention. And I want your thoughts on, on one of these guys specifically, because I don't know much about him. Uh, Tyler Duncan. So that's not one of the guys I, I do know much about. I do know about Tyler Unfortunately, Duncan. yeah, we know a lot yeah. about Tyler Duncan. <laughs> yeah, and, and the reality is he's flashed some upside lately. Third yeah, place at better. the Honda. Um, he's gained ball striking four tournaments in a row. Um, had some impressive putting performance, some spike putting performances, and his experience here is good. So it's 7,300, and that's kind of where that line of demarcation is, where I just don't really want to go lower than that. The other guy, though, Rick, that I wanted to ask you about at 7,300 is Ryan Girard. Mm. Fourth at the Honda. The approach numbers look good. Small sample size. He, he Monday queued to get into the Honda, by the way. Ended up finishing fourth. And then he qualified or conditionally call, qualified, whatever it was, uh, for Puerto Rico. And he finished 11th there. I mean, this is that that's a nice little run. And perhaps this is this guy has some talent justifying him being at 7,300. Because this is a name where I would have been like, Ryan Gerard, what is he, like 6,600? I don't know. Yeah, I would argue he has... Uh, four good starts in a row. So he has the the T3 at the Astara Golf Championship. That's a Court Ferry Tour event. Then I would I would lump the Monday Q for the Honda into that. Obviously, being good enough to, to get, you have to go super low at a Monday qualifier. Mm-hmm. And then to parlay that into a fourth at the Honda, which is 8.6 strokes gained in the ball striking categories, is very impressive around PGA National. Then because of that fourth place finish, he gets into Puerto Rico. Uh... Is that right? Because I, I thought I saw he was on a sponsor's invite, but that would make sense that his fourth place finish got him into Puerto Rico. But That's that was my understanding as well. Yeah, maybe I just maybe I misread that or was read it for a wrong guy. But his fourth place should have gotten him into Puerto Rico, and he finishes T eleven. Oh no, he's a sponsor's invite into this one because he's because oh, he okay. his T eleven did not. Yeah, yeah, sorry. That's what I was – that's what I was – he's a sponsored invite into the Valspar, uh, and it's well-deserved. So, yeah, man, I mean, there's there's, – I I don't want to liken him to Tom Kim or Will Zalatoris or Akshay Batia or even Min Woo Lee, right? But we have seen time and time again that guys emerge, right? They're always emerging, and the line has never been more blurred between – the corn fairy tour and the PGA tour and the best, you know, 500 players in the world are all unbelievable. So you're mm-hmm. getting a guy uh, who has a lot to play for, who is playing really, really well. I don't, I don't mind going back to Ryan Gerard. I mean, I, I love seeing a guy Monday qualify and then top fiving. I, that to me, that's like extremely impressive. That means you are clearly in a groove as far as I can see it. couple of notables that I'll throw out there. Uh, Let's talk Victor Perez for a second. If you do just raw, raw strokes gained across six six tours that RickRungood.com covers, last 36 rounds, Victor Perez is the best player in the field. Now, you have to qualify that by saying all of those rounds are DP World Tour rounds. Um, so he drops a little bit in the weighted stuff. I think he becomes 18th in the in the weighted numbers. But a win in Abu Dhabi three starts ago, he drives it well. He's pretty well-rounded. He finished 12th in Dubai at their DP World Tour Championship. He's made a bunch of cuts and a bunch of great finishes. This I, I said earlier in the day, Sia, this reminds me a lot of Minwoo Lee. Min, Minwoo Lee was playing – he was playing better than Victor Perez has, but this is a guy whose last 18 starts have been on the DP World Tour. It's away from American eyes. People might not realize how well he's playing, and he's got – Two wins, one in Abu Dhabi and one at the Dutch Open since 
uh, well, I guess that goes back to May of 2020, about almost in less than a year. So he's got, he's got two wins, a third, a couple of thirds, and a couple of really good other finishes uh, just in the last 10 months or so. My only question for Victor Perez would be, and it's not a question I actually want to ask Victor Perez, so I, I, I should rephrase that. My only question for you, Rick, about Victor Perez is that strength off the tee seems like it's going to be kind of minimized quite a bit here in what's going to be a positional golf course off the tee, right? Well, we'll see, right? I mean, if 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 his strength is uh, long and straight and he can take a couple of opportunities that other guys cannot, you know, yeah. it's admittedly, admittedly, um, this is basically all we know about him. Right? Like we don't know a ton of of other things. We don't have obviously the full detailed stuff from all, from the European tour, but we have a lot of it. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a valid concern. I mean, the, another valid concern is just that his last eighteen starts have been on the DP World Tour, and now he comes over to the PGA Tour, and he's got to get acclimated. You got to find out where the locker room are. I mean, it's just like all this stuff that we see guys often stumble in their first start and then get into the routine. Another valid concern would be he hasn't played in in five or six weeks. Right. So, I mean, it's it's it is not without concern for sure. Yeah, fair enough. But no, that it's it's a good call out because I don't think many people are going to play Victor Perez. So uh, among some maybe some potentially popular names like Johnny Vegas and uh, I mean, your boy, Akshay Batia. I don't Is he going to be popular? No, he's not going to be popular. Uh, but are you playing him? Is the question. Well, I guess it depends on his popularity. So so Akshay is very, very volatile. If you're looking for low ceiling or excuse me, low floor, high ceiling, we've got your guy runner up finish at the Puerto Rico. He loves this event. He made his pro debut here. He's got those two great starts at the Bahamas, but he is absolutely capable of just blowing up and missing this cut or being in contention. So if, if that's what you're looking for, he's there. Pearson Cootie's been um, – has been great. Ryan Gerard, we touched on. I just want to make sure because I thought I had one more guy that I wanted to talk about. Is it uh, your boy Bo Hostler? Ben Martin is here, who's he's one of my guys. I just I'm not 100 percent sure if I'm playing him this week. Yeah, Ben's been good. I actually I actually wanted to talk about Alex Smalley and not necessarily in a good way because I think I, I think what'll happen is people say, Oh, I remember this guy. He made an ace on 17 last week. I, he's oh, probably right. been playing, he's probably been playing great golf. And unfortunately, like some like his 2022 was awesome. He he ended great. He had those three top 11s in a row, was like trending towards victory. And then that layoff is, we have not seen the same golf. Mm-hmm. We've just not seen it. And that's, that, that's, that's yeah. pretty concerning to me. That was a name when I was scanning the, the mid seven Ks that I was like, man, Alex Smalley, like that, that seems like he seems like he has the upside to, to be played in this tournament. That might be true, but you're right. It, it hasn't been the same, but, but what I do like is that We've seen it before from him, and it wasn't oh, that long ago. Does he find it this week on a tough course? That I don't think I'm willing to to play that game with him. Yeah, no, for for sure. And and I I mean I hope he gets back on track because he was he was exciting. He was trending. I mean it was unbe- it was unbelievable how he finished 2022. But sometimes that break and you just just can't get it back. And it looks like he's kind of stuck in something right now. I've got another name for you though. Um, two names that I, I just kind of want to see if they if they crossed your mind at all. One is Garrick Higo. The other one is Kramer Hickok. Uh, H- Kramer Hickok, no. Higo, I've been unfortunately tracking way too much uh, recently because I, I mean he's clearly playing better. That that's very clear. He finished T forty four at the Players, and he he misclubbed on I think it was both seventeen and eighteen. He was. He had to get the wrong number from his caddy. He was 20 yards long on he was over the island green on 17 and landed on, on turf. Like it's un, unbelievable. And he did the same thing the next hole. So it's just it's just nuts, but he is clearly I mean look at his look at his metrics, right? I'm not saying he's um lighting the world on fire, but he has turned into an above average ball striker since Mayakoba. The putter is still a problem, but it's capable of gaining three and his short game has gotten a lot better. So, so yeah, I, I am generally of positive sentiment when it comes to Garrett Kigo. So this ball striking is, is really quite good, especially at some of these, these events where we had serious talent, you know, he's almost a gainer ball striking at the API, but at the players gaining three ball striking, Oh, there's uh, that in this field uh, coming in with that type of trajectory, knowing that he's been gaining ball striking over the last couple of months. Uh, that that's an interesting one for me. I think I might have to play him here and there. Yeah, he's been um, he's he's been he's been much better. The bar was low, but he's been much better. <laughs> yeah, the bar was low. Okay, the six thousand dollar range. I hate it. 
This and I think you kind of alluded to it. I, I have like one guy, maybe. I think you kind of alluded to this that I don't like the 10K range, but I'm but I'm much more willing to go down to the 9K because I don't have to like live in the 6K, right? Yeah, and, and it's like a two it's like a two two part deal. In in fact, um, I built a couple of lineups, as you know. And I did it with three 9K guys and three 7K guys that I liked. And I was able to I was able to do that lineup really well. Now, if I had gone up to the 10K range, there's just no way I would have been able to do that. So I think a lot of people are going to probably build a lot of those balanced lineups. I think a lot of people are going to grab like four 7K guys and then one 9K and one Jordan Spieth or, or Sam Burns or Justin Thomas. But yeah, I don't want to live in the 6K range at all. I just don't see the reason to do it because I do like so many 9 and even 8K guys. We talked about guys that we thought could actually win this tournament in the 8k like justin suff for example like Wyndham clark so i think the win equity um especially if you think maybe those first four guys aren't going to perform super well uh, then i think all those 9k and 8k guys i mean we, we that's what that's where the leaderboard could be sunday afternoon but 6k range zach johnson at 6800 i think is interesting his play hasn't been horrific as of late outside of that I went down like super down low to like the 6,300 range. I looked at Bryce Garnett. I thought, okay, if I'm going to go down this far, I think Bryce Garnett is a decent play. Then there was a guy that another guy kind of in that Gerard range where I wasn't super familiar with him. I know he's, he's been playing a little bit lately, but I haven't really evaluated him. He's at 6,300 and it's, I assume I'm pronouncing this right. It's Kevin Roy. Uh, the weighted approach, the last 24, greens and regulation, last 24, um, pretty great. Again, we're talking about small sample sizes, but I'm also talking about the 6,300 range, trying to find a guy who might be on a positive trajectory. Uh, these numbers, they look pretty good. I also assume it's Kevin Roy. You don't think he's French-Canadian and it's like Kevin well, that's Wah, why, right? Exactly, yeah. like Patrick Wah, right? Yeah, he was the best. Um, yeah, so C is right. I mean, it gained six strokes at, at PGA National on approach. It's uh, six consecutive weeks gaining. And then the one the one week that we don't have the advanced data for for Puerto Rico, he finished T33. So so it's it's uh, seriously not that bad. The other thing is, you know, he misses the cut at the American Express, but he gains two and a half strokes that week just on the wrong end of the of the mm -hmm. course rotation there. And same thing kind of with Pebble is he misses the cut on the number he's kind of got on the wrong end of these course rotations and has played better. I think than um, what, what his results indicate the, the one guy that I would go with is, is Dylan Wu. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. I like both Wu's. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Speaking of the ball striking numbers, I mean, it's, it's four in a row. Two of them were big wins at Pebble and Honda. Uh, he finished T35 at the players last week. So now he's got four solid starts in a row, five out of six. He's, I mean, if you remember his, his start to, uh, having his full membership was not, it was not good. He basically missed like every single cut. And now he's made, uh, he's made eight of 10 and he's playing a lot better and he's got everything kind of, uh, I don't want to say buttoned up, but he's got everything, you know, shored up and headed in the right direction. So he's, he's the guy that I think if he was 7,500, I, I don't think I'd bat an eye at it. Um, but yeah, man, yeah, this, I, this is I tough. agree. That 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 was actually a, <laughs> an amazing yeah. profile for somebody that's sixty six hundred. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot better than than his peers, and he's doing it in the right way. And and I just like to see this like nat. Like I think a lot of people want everybody to come on tour and be Victor Hovland and be Colin Morikawa. And mm -hmm. I mean, even Matt Wolf won what like the month after he turned pro. Like that, it's just that is so uncommon. And we've yeah. been spoiled with that. And we've been spoiled with like Zalatoris getting his card immediately and having success. And it's just like this is is much more common where a guy struggles for a year and like barely keeps his card. And then you start to see natural progression, right? That that's what you want to see. And we're now in, we're now in that, in that part for Dylan Wu, where we're, we're getting the natural progression. We're getting the idea that he feels like he probably fits in and he can compete week in and week out. I liken it to the quarterback that gets drafted and gets inserted right away. And it's like, Hey, listen, some of these guys are going to pan out like Justin Herbert, but some of them need three or four years to actually acclimate themselves to the defenses and to the, you know, just to the whole experience. And Justin Suh is another good example of that. Like I, you know, 
I thought he was like a guy that was going to come and go real quick. And then, you know, here he is kind of being the Justin Suh that people like yourself always thought he could be. So I, I totally agree with that. We, you know, writing these guys off is just is is a mistake, both in general and in DFS. Uh, very quickly, if you're desperate or you're looking for some high upside, Nico Echeverria, he just won in Puerto Rico. Um, wouldn't mind going back there. Vincent Norman, incredibly talented, hits the ball. It sounds like a shotgun anytime he hits the golf ball. Vincent Norman is pretty good. And then Augusto Nunez um, has been has been playing better golf as well. So those would be three other guys that, I, that I'd consider. But I, I, I would prefer not to be here if, if I could. Yeah, Ryan Moore is at least interesting to me, but if if I was going to go that low, I'd probably just go to Roy and take the chance there. I love it. Okay, anybody else? Are we good here? I think we're good. Well, Carson Young, Carson Young, uh, he's flashed he, lately. He had like a five. He <laughs> he had like a five shot lead in Puerto Rico going into the weekend. That if he wins, I win the. I won, I would have won the hundred dollar single entry. And are know, you serious, dude? I had the lineup, man. I had I had. Well, I, it wasn't all wow. his fault because heading into the weekend, I had. Uh, I had like literally six guys inside the top 10 and Carson Young. And I just needed like any, I needed Carson Young to win or Harry Hall to win. Or there's like three guys that if, if any of, if anybody, but Nico Echeverria wins, I'm, I'm, I'm hoisted, but not to be. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, All right. Let us suspend all logic and reason and go to our very popular and growing Strokes gain yeah. narrative segment. I believe we have six different strokes gained uh, narrative lineups this week, Sia, and I'm sure there was more that didn't make the cut. Well, there was well, a lot more actually, and which is so great. Uh, six is as, mu- as many as we'll ever go. Usually it'll just be like four or five, but um, we have six. One came in at the buzzer, I believe from Jake, and it was actually really, really funny. Uh, we had a couple like football crossovers that were really good, but just we just had too many. So um, this thing is more popular than people think. I, I think. I, the People just love putting me through the ringer. These are going to yes. be so hard. This is tough. This is one of the toughest ones. Okay. So if you're new to this, uh, people put together lineups based on any narrative that they want. Now, there's a lot of snake stuff, a lot of painter stuff this week because Valspar and the snake pit and all that stuff. So I don't even know who this first one is from. Uh, that part is cut off, so apologies. But it's, it's Brent Harris. I believe this is Brent Harris. Okay. It's the first one that came in. Okay, Brent. So when the PGA players go to Valspar, they get a lifetime supply of paint. Is that true? I have no idea. I, it sounds true, actually. They have just to play it or if they win? Just to play it, probably. What? You think Valspar is shelling out 150 lifetime supplies of paint every year? And how much paint do people need? I mean, I guess professional golfers it. at that. I guess they can afford it. That is true. It, it sounds great, but like, would you ever use this? <laughs> maybe, maybe one time. Like, if you like repainted your house, you'd be like, great. But like, you're not going to do that like every year. Can somebody fact check that for us real quick? Because that, that does sound kind of ridiculous, but I'm I mean, willing. It is so ridiculous. Bet it, true. it is so ridiculous that like it probably costs them nothing because no one ever takes them up on it. <laughs> right. That's wild. Um, all right. So this is this is so difficult. Uh, Brent says, I present the painters of the PGA Tour strokes gain narrative lineup. Vincent Van Royen. Salvador Dorile. <laughs> that's pretty good. Salvador Dali. That's pretty good. Pablo Pahigo. <laughs> this one I don't know. Um, JT Post Cezanne. That's right. You pronounced it right. Wow. Man, I don't know. Jean Samuel Bernsquiant? <laughs> Actually, don't know who that is. I, I have no idea. Who no that clue. Uh, and Gary Woodhall instead of uh, Warhol, Andy Warhol. Right. Mm-hmm. Oof, that, Brent. <laughs> You can just you can just keep those to yourself moving forward. <laughs> I'm gonna have to pronounce this stuff. Uh, Chris uh, at DFS Influencer says uh, this is a post Oscars malaise over on he plays on Yahoo it appears. So oh okay I see what he's done here. So he has taken golfers and uh, movie titles. So the Hustler, which is actually the Hustler, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Avatar. The Tway of Water. <laughs> That's pretty good. Kevin Tway, The Way of Water. Big Hubbard in Little China. Yeah, Big Trouble in Little China, 80s ah, movie. Thank you. War of the Justin Roses. 
Bramlett, the right one in. I assume that's a movie called Let the Right One In, but I did not fact check that. Wings of Kazire. Let me tell you how good I am at pop culture. Not good. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime we have to do songs or movies, I am cooked. And apparently painters, because I am very bad. Joseph, please save me here. Snake Pit. Oh, boy. Just, just Timber Rattlesnake Thomas. Byung Hyun Anaconda. Bryce Garnett Snake. Boa Hostler. Very good. Nicobra Echeverria. Excellent. Tommy Fleetwood Snake. Perfect. Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> Amazing. Let's go to the next slide. Hey, I'm going to make you a promise, Rick, because we have three more to go. I'll only bring four next time. Next week, everybody's battling for the top four. I'm letting everybody Our, know right now. Just, uh, just what we should, what we really should do is we should make people submit them like in a video. Like, just take a 10 second video of yourself reading them off so that I do not have to read. Like, if you want to go, if you want to go the route of like. I feel like I'm butchering half of them, like, and they're not getting the the respect that they deserve. No, you're actually doing a much better job than you think. All right, thank you. Uh, the model maniac. So I believe these are also uh, paint items here. So Tyler Dunk Canvas, nice. <laughs> Sean O Brush Hair, <laughs> or it could be Sean <laughs> Brush O Hair would also not be so bad either. Henrik. Nor landscape, beautiful. Justin, Tom masterpiece. Oh, masterpiece. Mm-hmm. There you go. Peyton Kazire, beautiful. And Lee smudges. <laughs> that one makes me laugh. <laughs> All right, good job, model maniac. At fantasy bunker, oh boy. I also noticed a few famous painters. Beautiful. I'm glad you did. Bo, Bo, Bob Ross. Bob oh, Rossler. Oh, sick. Okay. <laughs> Bo Bob Rossler. I had that's a, that's very creative. My my brain could not even wrap around the creativity of that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pablo Bill Picasso. Bill Haas. Pablo Picasso. Luke. Oh, sick. Luke Donald Tello. K.H. Leonardo da Vinci. Strong. Garrick Vincent Van Higo. Oh, we're killing it, Ryan. Let's go. <laughs> and Ryan Brembrandt. Yes, sir. That's excellent. Yes, sir. Yeah. Good job, Ryan. That's really good, Ryan. It took me – Bo Bob Rossler took me a while. <laughs> but once I got that one, they were all great. Well done. John Markowski. Says Valspar equals paint equals colors. Since I was a kid, obsessed with Crayola, box of 64 crayons. I usually say crowns, but I was told to say crayons. Colors included in that beautiful, beautiful box. Okay, here we go. Sam Burnt Sienna. Nice. Just Indigo Thomas. Matt Fitzpatrick-me-pink. <laughs> How about this one? Matthew Granny Smith Apple. Harrison Apricot. And finally, Max Aroni and Cheese McGreevy. I think Ryan wins. Yeah, I think Ryan wins this week. That was that was excellent. They were Ryan's all very good. good. They were all very well thought out. You guys are very creative. But man, uh, Garrick Vincent Van Higo yeah. is elite. Also, K.H. Leonardo da Vinci, elite. Ryan Brembrandt is excellent. Pablo Bill Picasso. <laughs> Luke Donald Tello. And Bo Bob Rossler. I have it on I have it on good authority that that before Ryan actually like puts his final product down on you know Twitter, he like take, takes notes. Like he is deep into this, just like Markowski, John Markowski is. Yeah, some of these guys are really kind of going to the mat and putting some time in. So it's it's reflected uh, cer- certainly in Ryan's this week. That that is 
a Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame level strokes yeah. gain narrative. That's lineup. first ballot. The cool yeah. thing is, the cool thing is because you guys are dropping the strokes gain narrative, we can click on that. And when we actually do the Hall of Fame strokes gain narrative, which I suppose should be my responsibility, <laughs> I can go back and check everybody's. And we can have like on the first sort of induction ceremony, we can have like 10. I'm yeah. sure John Markowski will have four or five of them. And then we'll have. Well, we could put. Ryan. Yeah, we could. We could basically put them all. We could just do it like baseball. Right. We'll, we'll put it. We'll put it out there. Is this a Hall of Famer or not? And if it reaches the threshold, it'll be admitted. Yes, that's great. Wow. By the way, do you say do you say Jaguar or Jaguar? Uh, Jaguar. You're wrong. Do you say iron or iron? I don't know if you're wrong or not. I'm pretty sure you're wrong. I just it annoys me when people. Say I say Jaguar. iron. Iron. Okay, I think that's right. Why do you say Jaguar? That's not that's not how you. Pronounce what do you it. say, Jaguar? No, Jaguar. Jaguar. <laughs> I don't know why. Why wire? Know. Like, where does know. the wire? I mean, you're, you're not alone. I think the majority might actually say Jaguar, but you, you talked about how you pronounced something earlier. And so it just uh, the Jaguar Jaguar thing. It, I don't get that. I don't, I don't get it. I never I never thought about it. Well, fix it. So what should I be saying? Jaguar. It's U-A-R. Where does wire come from? Hmm. Jaguar. Jaguar. OK, well. I'll try. All right. <laughs> Enough free ads. Um, thanks, everybody. We'll be back on Tuesday. Make a preview pod. Get your picks in for the one and done. Get your uh, brackets in, I guess, for mm-hmm. March Madness, March Mania. Maybe I'm not allowed to say March Madness. Otherwise, big thanks. Producer Troy does all the hard work behind the scenes. Sienna Jod available on Twitter at Sienna Jod. You can find me at Rick Run Good. This has been the first cut. We'll catch you next time. <laughs> Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.